Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a partnership between Shondaland Audio and iHeartRadio. I would love for us to, on this episode, kind of get into that. I don't know how many people are really familiar with the marriage market and that it was a real thing and that in so many... Sorry. <laughs> that was perfect timing. That's the marriage market calling. <laughs> that's the marriage market calling. I think it's FedEx. <laughs> but maybe that's my husband. <laughs> my future husband. Right. Welcome to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your behind-the-scenes guide, Gabrielle Collins. And I'm historian Hannah Gregg. I'm television writer Jess Brownell, and on this episode, we are going to talk about why I actually think the Marriage Mart sounds amazing. There's an asterisk, though. Sort of. Last episode, we took our first steps behind the scenes of Bridgerton by visiting the show's historic locales with production designer Will Hughes-Jones and showrunner Chris Van Dusen. We thought the physical setting of Bridgerton would be a fun way to peel back some of the layers of storytelling. On this episode, we're going for the heart, the marriage market. We're talking about the political dance of advancing family fortune and rights. And I'm not talking about the underbelly of this game. Everyone here is of age and has agency. So much hasn't changed. Just kind of the veneer has. And so I think that's what we can get into in this episode. The whole idea of matchmaking and the marriage market is such a great way to get into the centerpiece of the show. Also a really great way to get to know you two a little better. Hannah, being an expert in 18th and 19th century humans. Yes, I am. And I think talking about romance is the great way to get into Bridgerton. And even though Jess can't tell us that much about season two, I think we can be pretty sure there's going to be romance and love. So everyone, if you'll remember, Jess is a writer who cut her teeth on scandal. Or is the saying, cut your gums? No. Well, she helped to give us season one of Bridgerton. 
<laughs> which is streaming on Netflix. And she's the keeper of season two secrets. You know, I actually just booked my flight to London for season two production. Oh. It's all happening. It's beginning. The sets are going up. The actors are getting ready. We are about to start filming. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I um, when we talked with Golda, she said she had gone in for like an eight-hour dress and wig fitting. Wow. And saw um, Luke Benedict. Yeah, there's a Benedict Luke and a Colin Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like it's exciting. Yeah, I did my own um, sort of costume fitting. I I had to buy several sweaters and coats. I'm coming from Los Angeles, (laughs) where my wardrobe is t-shirts and jeans. So what is the weather like there, Lahanna? Um, it's pretty cold and dank and drizzly and all the other wonderful words we've got for rain. Dank really does not sound appealing. It's, it's, isn't there a cozier way to say that things are wet and gloomy? Uh, no, I can give you the full dictionary when you get here, Jess. You're going to need a lot of different words for rain. Yeah. And of course, Jess, you are giving us our first, I think, true tour of the Bridgerton Writers' Room this episode. Yes, absolutely. I'm really excited to uh, pull up that proverbial seat we've been talking about. I I do think the Marriage Mart, you know, it's where all of our discussions started. It is the heart of the show. It's the engine of the show. Uh, the number of times in the writer's room we used the words ambitious mamas, mm. rakes, and <laughs> ambitious mamas. <laughs> and the, the young the young ladies. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the, you know, those are the players in, in the game of Marriage Mart. You know, I think in some ways you can think of it a bit like a chess game and everyone has their moves. Some people can go diagonal. Some people can go across the board. Some people are (laughs) watching from the sidelines. But um, yeah, we were always thinking about, you know, the balls aren't just there to be pretty. They are the set piece where all of our storylines cross together. And Mm. it's not just the story of, you know, who's going to date who, who's going to marry who. Uh, It's also the place where all of society gathers to see and be seen. And so you get every single storyline crossing there. And it was a great setting for drama and for stakes and to play out all of our juicy setups. Yeah, I felt like it's like it's the perfect way to begin to peel the layers of Bridgerton and all that went into taking this book series and putting it on screen. Um, And also, I just was really taken aback by how normal, actually, the marriage market seemed to me. Well, I think even I think people are deluding themselves if they think we have any less rules today. Mm-hmm. I think we we have more equality, obviously, and I think women were, you know, much more at a disadvantage in the marriage mart era. But, you know, all the rules we have about, like, don't call. Like, calling's uncool. <laughs> You've got to text and never double text. And, like, if you use, like, a, an exclamation point in your text messaging, like, that comes off as a little bit desperate. And, you know, the Tinder rules and the way that we present ourselves on Instagram, like, like you only, you know, don't post too many selfies, but you've got to post enough to keep people interested. Like there are just as many strictures and rules around the way we present ourselves. We have our own, maybe not marriage mart. It's not all about marriage in the same way, but we have our own dating mart. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm, I'm pre-defending myself because I hear Chris has heard that I think there's actually some positives to the marriage mart and is outraged. <laughs> so I just want to make it clear that as a feminist, no, I do not Wait. think the marriage mart was better. But I can admire that at least the rules were 
a little bit more delineated and a little bit more clear. Like I remember in my single days reading, you know, like the titles that come out about like, he's just not that into you or, Mm -hmm. you know, then you get the opposite book telling you to like, just go for him or whatever. There's all these mixed messages. (laughs) And at least in this era, you really, you knew how things worked. You knew, you know, what to expect Mm. for the most part. Also in the Bridgerton marriage market, there's a lot of really attractive people. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's, exciting but I think also I mean you're right I like the suggestion that you said that you know the Regency marriage market is like this game of chess and I really love the idea where everyone's plotting their moves and also thinking ahead so like it's not just in the moment but also what your two moves you know further down the line Mm -hmm. and things like that I think it's a really neat analogy that that works yeah and I think we delude ourselves if we think we've got total free choice today because even today we meet people and date people and partner people and marry people who are within our social network in some way like Mm -hmm. And if we move significantly outside that network, and everyone's like, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's not so different to the Bridgerton. Yeah. So I can see why people identify with it. Hearing you say it back, Hannah, I think that all, like the marriage mart all taking place in a ballroom and everyone being there and getting to know what's happening. Like, you know, we now don't really know what's going on and we we don't really, you know, if you meet someone at a bar, you don't really know what their deal is. I guess checking out their Instagram is our modern day version of like scoping them out on a ballroom floor. But there's something I would imagine nice about like you have been at every social engagement that everyone else has been. You know exactly how that gentleman mm. comports himself. Or mm. is he a gentleman? Or a you know, and everyone kind of knew everything that was going on for better or worse. I mean, there's a dark side to that, of course, that like you can't live your life in private. And if you stick out from being exactly what you're supposed to be, I'm sure that it was torture. Um, so no, let me reiterate, please edit this in. I do not think the marriage part <laughs> is, is better. I think it was completely restrictive. I mean, the entire point of our time in the writer's room was like, how do we explore the ways in which the marriage mart is a prison for women? And I'm very much aware of that. It is absolutely just an intellectual exercise that I, I find enjoyable. Would I switch places with anyone in the marriage mart? Absolutely not. No, thank you. Jess, why do you think Shondaland loved playing in this playground of the marriage mart? Yeah, I think we've talked about this a little bit. I think Shondaland does longing really well. And I think we've talked about how on Scandal, uh, Olivia Pope is in love with the president. And that creates a real obstacle to them getting together, which creates real longing. On Grey's Anatomy, Meredith Grey realizes her one night stand is her boss. And... That is another great obstacle that provides real longing. And, you know, I think there are fewer and fewer obstacles in modern life, which is a good thing. The more people can choose who they want to be with, the better. But uh, great television is not made on things being really easy. And so the marriage mart and the Regency era and all of the strict rules around who can be with who and how they can be with that person make for some really fraught, sexy energy. And I think it is a very Shondaland show for those reasons. I know that Betsy and Chris and Shonda were all very excited about the fact that Julia Quinn's books aren't perhaps normal period pieces in that the women do have, I think, a lot more agency than an average woman in a in Regency times, again, within what's available to them. 
You know, I loved Dr. Hannah was saying something about how Daphne, when she's in the marriage mart, her fan and her outfits are her weapons, you know? Yeah. And we really tried to show that, you know, just like Olivia Pope is, uh, you know, this badass crisis manager and just like Meredith Grey is an incredible doctor who saves lives, Daphne is incredible at the marriage mart. She's cunning and so cunning. she figures out how to work it for herself. And so I do think that that makes her a Shondaland protagonist in a period appropriate way. And I know that uh, Shonda and Chris and Betsy all really took to the books for those reasons. Let's go back to the beginning. So the London season is where families descend on their London mansions to parliament and to party. The debutante presentations in mansion balls we see in Bridgerton were phased out decades ago by Queen Elizabeth II, but Shonda Rhimes' longtime producing partner Betsy Beers and creator Chris Van Dusen say all of that emotion wound up in the marriage market is as relatable today as it was then. There were all these rules that men and women of the time had to follow. They knew what was expected of them. They knew how to behave. They knew how not to behave. There's this idea that the young lady is just kind of put in her clothes and tied up in her corset and just put out there in the marriage market like it's the most wonderful, delightful thing. But it's actually not. It's actually the opposite. That point of view, contrasting with actually watching the characters, just gives the story so many layers. That's Betsy Beers, the Golden Globe winning television producer behind your favorites. Grey's Anatomy, duh, Scandal, hello. Betsy's also no stranger to producing a show with pent-up love triangle disaster situationships. Julia Quinn presents a number of characters, all of whom are stuck in their worlds. The women who are stuck in a position where they have no alternative but to be married off to somebody or to find the most appropriate marriage. And as Daphne Bridgerton says, this is all she was born and raised to do. Right. And I love the idea that on one hand, there's a Daphne Bridgerton who's desperately trying to do her duty. And over the course of the book and the season is this idea that she grows into being her own woman. Contrasted with that, there's Eloise, who's, you know, I think for a lot of us represents a, a very modern point of view, which is, why is this my only option? So Daphne may be in love. Does she think it an accomplishment? What exactly has she accomplished then? That's her face, probably. That's her hair. And having a nice face and pleasant hair is not an accomplishment. Do you know what is an accomplishment? <laughs> Attending university. If I were a man, I could do that, you know. Instead, I shall have to stand by and watch dear Mama appear proud because some man should like to admire my sister's face and hair and fill her up with babies. Daphne is the eldest daughter in that family, and everything Daphne does will set up her sister's chances for success or not for success. Her marrying well allows Eloise Francesca Hyacinth to all make, to all have the opportunity to make just as good matches. Whereas, unfortunately, if she marries lower, then it brings some sort of shame onto the family. So, I think you have to appreciate how much pressure Daphne is under. And it's not just self-serving. She is really trying to do the best for her family. Every single woman, I think, in the course of this story is confronting a different sort of dilemma, which comes out of the limitations of society. There was a lot about that even now that I think we all look at and say, we may not be technically 
married off in the same way, but a lot of similar pressures exist. And the pressures exist for the men in this book too, which is one of the things I think is wonderful about it, which is that the men also are expected to create a particular life for themselves. And when they do not follow that norm, they are either shunned from society or they are punished or shamed by their family. So you have Antony who more than anything in the world wants to be with a woman who is not of his class and he cannot be with, and he has to give that up in order to do his duty. And you have Simon who does not want progeny, does not want the family line to continue. And that is such a shocking concept. It's something he doesn't speak of. Although Daphne is not someone like Eloise who, you know, is trying to forego the institution of marriage or really, you know, make an entirely new path as a woman, the fact that she is a woman who wants to have more than marriage, who wants to have a career, she probably is an anomaly for that era. And I don't think there were many women who were even given the opportunity to imagine they could have more than marriage. She's a leading lady of the Chandelier brand because she's conflicted and it's not simple. And she's going through a process whereby the end of the season, she's consciously made a choice about what she wants and who she wants to be. And that to me is an interesting and worthy heroine. I've always thought of the first season as the education of Daphne Bridgerton. She starts out as this picture-perfect, wide-eyed, and innocent debutante. And she grows into this woman who gets to shed all the constraints society has held her to. And she finally figures out who she really is and what she's capable of. That education is really her arc for this entire first season. She's finding her agency. And what we're really saying is that this world, even though it's set 200 years ago, women were strategizing on ways to find their agency and, and become their own person even back in 1813. My first impression of Daphne was all wrong. It was so wrong. I had her pegged as this go-along-with-society type of chick, not considering the marriage market is something Daphne not only wants to participate in, she wants to excel in this game. There's this thing that I don't know who coined this term, but television critics talk about competence porn being a type of uh, thing many viewers enjoy in television. I think Scandal and Grey's Anatomy kind of fall into that. Like, we love watching people be really good at their jobs. Yeah, we do. You know, and that's why I think we love watching doctor shows and lawyer shows, because it's really fun to see people be hyper-competent. And I do think that Bridgerton weirdly falls into that. Like, Daphne might not have a job in the traditional sense, or rather in the modern sense, the way we think of it, but her job is the marriage mart and following all of those rules. And instead of just following them, she weaponizes them and makes them her bitch, you know? And I think that it is really fun to watch her be hyper-competent at the marriage mart. I (laughs) drop the mic. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. 
For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Welcome back to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm Gabby. I'm sitting here with Jess and Hannah. Before the break, we heard how the market drew Chris and Betsy's attention. Now we're getting into the history of matchmaking and the reason for the season. Spouse shopping. You know, it's really hard, I think, for us to understand the amount of pressure that was put on both the women and the men of this kind of high society world, particularly for women. In Bridgerton, really, we get a world where people are, they know who they are, uh, what's expected of them. They've been living in this world. They've been brought up in it. And now's their time. This is their moment. You know, this London life of the season of the marriage market was a very public life. It was not about doing things in secret. It was about making your status in public and making your mark. Eight balls. No. Eight balls. You know, if you didn't make it in a season, you've got one season, it's about six months, going to all these balls. If you didn't secure your match then, in the next season, you're going to be old hat. Everyone's going to be like, why, why, why did you not make it? Really, by the time you're 27 in Regency England as a woman, it's over. The bloom has gone and you're moving into old maid status. And the bloom is gone. The purpose of this arrangement is to ensure I marry my very first season. I shall grant you four. Six bills. Five. Six. And you must send flowers. You know, when I first started studying history and as a graduate student, I wasn't yet 27. So I was like, oh, of course. Oh, 27's old. Of course. And then I got closer to 27. I was like, oh, no, I don't, I'm not very comfortable with that. And I got <laughs> past 27. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> of course, right. of course you're still, you know, blossoming in your 30s and onwards, you know. So, so my own like relationship to that idea that women really had to get a match before their 27 shifted as I moved myself through <laughs> through the ages. And, um, you know, for us today, these kind of relationships are about romance, about making your own choice, about choosing whether or not you want to get married or not have marriages or, you know, whatever. Like We've got so much freedom of choice. 
That isn't really the case in this high society world. There's a choice within a small pool of people, carefully selected pool. And if you're seen as that toast of the season, then you want to make the best match you can. If you don't do it within the season and you're back again the next year, then you probably lost the opportunity to make that match. Let's get back to the rules. Hannah, you said that Jess said something that kind of piqued your interest. Yeah, I like Jess's insight into the writer's room and this idea that they were trying to write from the perspective of women in this marriage mart and also to make it ensure it didn't feel like a prison. Like how are women trying to negotiate what seems to us to be kind of very strict set of rules about who you can be seen with, where you can go. You know, we need to remember that it's only a particular group of society. This is women who've got money and title that that they carry with them. So they bring a real value, but marriage is really important um, to them. Um, To be unmarried is a pretty horrific future for most of these women. So there's a really high stakes at play in the marriage market. Um, I think some of the things that people find most shocking for modern women is that you couldn't really just kind of walk up to a guy and say, hi, who are you? And sort of start flirting with him. There had to be some sort of formal introduction between a a man and a woman. Mm. But it's not to say that women didn't have any power because actually they always had the power to say no. So if a man came up and said, would you like to dance with me, Gabby, at the next, you know quadrille or something and you could say no thanks I'm fine (laughs) so you could turn him down you had the power to turn him down the power of refusal how is the dance card replicated today do you think do you think it's like a comment on Instagram is it so the dance card is really important because there's only a certain number of dances that are going to happen at a ball and they're not your sort of three and a half minute dance that we'd have today to Taylor Swift or whatever. It's, you know, 10 minutes of of dancing, 20 minutes of dancing with somebody. Mm. So you might have a dance card with about eight dancers that evening. And as a woman, that is the control you have over how your night's going to go. You've got to figure out who to say yes to, who to say no to. If you dance twice with somebody, then that is going to be a statement of real interest and intent. Everyone's going to be talking about that the next day. Uh, everyone's it's going to be in the newspapers if you dance more than once with one particular person. So you've got to organise your night quite carefully. So it's your secret diary, really, for how your night's going to unfold. And it's your gamble on what's going to happen that evening. Is there... Was there a part of it that in a way was a status symbol? Like, was it just for you or would a girl who filled her dance card show it off as a way of, like, I'm trying to equate it to like likes on Instagram, you know? It's like, oh, I got eight dances tonight. I got every slot filled out. So I'm hot shit. Like, Well, certainly not being approached to dance is like having no friends on Instagram or whatever. Like it's, you know, that's the situation you don't want to be in. I think it's, probably pretty easy to fill your dance cards but do you want to fill it with the right kind of rake haven't you the right kind of hero mm-hmm. and the key is more than one dance like that is the gold standard of the successful evening is if you dance twice with the person that you you know hopefully in a Regency romance you're going to end up marrying right two dances yeah <laughs> leading to marriage but no more than two right if you dance three then you were like in the scandal sheet the next day <laughs> well three is it's hotting up okay. <laughs> quite a lot. Okay. Um, I, I remember reading when we were doing research for season one, you know, reading about what some of the benefits of marriage were. And mm. we talk on the show about how, like, marriage is the only end for a woman. And so it's, like, the only goal she's able to have. And 
But it wasn't just about the husband and the children. As I understand it, marriage afforded a woman the ability to have male friends, to go out unchaperoned. Is that true? Like there were freedom. It's it's freedom. Partly because our romantic stories focus on the run-up to marriage. We never really hear about what happens to women after that. And yeah, of course, there are some horrifically unsuccessful marriages and some really sad stories, but there's also lots of really happy ones. Mm -hmm. And also lots of marriages that afford women with a huge amount of power and privilege. Um, There's a spending power that comes as a wife because your husband is responsible for all of the money. Mm -hmm. So although to us, that feels like you're giving up your economic freedom. Actually, it's also a route to economic freedom because you can buy whatever you like and your husband is responsible for the bills. Oh, that's interesting. So there is a kind of, you know, a way of looking at that that is about a, a kind of a privileged position for women. Yeah. And also you have a power, like if you are the wife of a of a duke and the duke has all this authority in society that extends to controlling seats in the House of Commons, to having lots of money, to having the ear of the royal family, then as his wife, you share that power. You become a hostess in your own right. You have access to all of those same circles. And, you know, there's a reason why you talk about the ambitious mammas in Bridgerton, because they are the ones who are also exercising their authority over the marriage market. And there is nothing more important Mm -hmm. to this elite society than getting these marriages right. And it's the women who run that. And then also there's a sexual freedom after marriage for women. Um, So there's a sexual freedom in marriage. And there's also an opportunity for women to pursue affairs outside marriage, um, you know, if they do it in the right terms, uh, which we could talk about first another time. Yeah, um, that's, I remember reading about that, like, as long as they don't get caught. Yeah. Like, as long as you don't get caught. Yeah, that's the key. Oh, sh- yeah. I will say, though, as we were talking about, you know, the marriage mark being like a chess game earlier, to me, it seems like the way, the real way to win the chess game is either to make like a real love match and be really happy or to marry very well and then have him die and be a widow. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That is the advice I always give. Because then you get all the freedom and independence yeah. and you run shit, right? Yeah. Unless there's like another cousin who who takes over the estate or something, right? Yeah. I'm like, why does Marina want Colin so bad? He's a baby. I know. Marry the old guy who dies. That is always the advice I would give is to find a very rich older husband and hope it doesn't last very long. And then you have complete freedom and, oh, you have such an amount of power. And you can be Lady Danbury for 50 years, you know, living your life as you like. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my my chess game. <laughs> what about the suitors coming over the next day? Um what was appropriate? What was too much? I mean, in Bridgerton, dudes came by with puppies. Yeah. And- <laughs> Is that? That was a bit more surprising to me. <laughs> well, I think the flowers and the puppies are, are Bridgerton visual imagination, the visual extravagance of Bridgerton. But that's not to say that suitors wouldn't give love tokens. I mean, museums are full of little tokens of admiration and love from patch boxes and snuff boxes to little paintings to love letters. I love finding a love letter in the archives because sometimes you don't know it's from an anonymous sender and you don't quite know like what the story is behind it. So you could just make it up in your head, which you're not meant to do as a historian, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but um, you know, there's a whole world of jewellery, of gifting jewellery, um, 
there's a bit of a strange thing about giving things with people's hair in it. So giving a token of your hair mm-hmm. as a, a love token, and then someone would work that into a piece of, yeah, no of jewelry. So no. sometimes it gets a bit icky. Puppy or bust? I don't need the hair jewelry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> puppy or bust. <laughs> Lady Caroline Lamb sent um, Lord Byron some of her pubic hair as a love token <laughs> in real life. <laughs> yeah, in real life. Oh my god. <laughs> Made. Fetch me some shears. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> That's a lot. And they think this generation is sex crazed. Right. <laughs> we'll be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Welcome back. Okay, so we've talked up the toast of the season. We've nibbled on the pressure to get married for all involved parties. But what about the women who already made a lane for themselves? The ones like Madame Delacroix and Sienna, who play on their own terms and own businesses among the ton, but aren't officially seen as the, I'm air quoting here, the marrying type. I asked Julia Quinn, author of the Bridgerton book series. Julia obviously had her own reasons for being drawn to the inner workings of the marriage market. Among them were the lives of characters who were ruined, spinsters, all of the things I heard in my maiden days. Here's Julia. The scene when Anthony 
says like not every woman is a lady or something. And there's Sienna. Someone must guard my poor sister from the bucks and pinks. Ensure her virtue remains free of any kind of defilement. Daphne is fortunate. Every woman is not afforded such gallant protection. Well, every woman is not a lady. Of course not, my lord. It's like, oh my God. I'm like, you jerk. Why would you say that? But, you know, that's sort of, you know, society is set up at that time. You know, there are there are women and there are ladies and men really divide them into two groups. There are the women you marry and then there are the other women and you treat them differently. I think some would say it's still that way today <laughs> across the gradient of dating and extended engagements. <laughs> and which ends up being harmful and a disrespect to both groups of women. The women you marry not having any clue what to expect. I mean, she's denied this knowledge, which it's shameful that she doesn't know these things. And then the women you don't marry are treated like they're not worthy of certain types of respect. It's so distorted. You know, we're so involved with the Bridgertons and we love them. They have this incredible wealth and privilege and yet we still like them because they're good people. But then we still have Sienna and you can be like, well, wait a minute these good people are still managing to inflict some kind of harm on someone else. You actually seem to be really intrigued with how Shondaland fleshed out the fire between Antony and Sienna. You know, the, the writers of the series just gave her this whole story that, you know, they, they started with a blank slate. Sienna is very briefly in The Viscount Who Loved Me, although she's called Maria there. And it's just, you know, she's the person in the books who Anthony was with before he finds Kate. So she is not a major character in Julia Quinn's world, but we, of course, wanted to broaden that world and look at what life was like for women who were not, quote unquote, ladies. And I love it because I feel like it really provides a counterpoint to the rest of the characters. I love that we get to see Sienna, a woman who is charting her own course outside this society that we've become so invested in. I love what a realist she is. Yeah, there's a, I mean, the role of the mistress is a very difficult one for someone like Sienna, because sometimes there is a happy ever after. Occasionally, there's a happy marriage at the end of that kind of affair. There's a handful of cases where the eligible duke does end up marrying his mistress. But more often than not, that's not the story. The mistress is cast aside in favour of a, a more eligible match and her reputation is ruined. Her choice is to become the mistress of somebody else. I want to just go back to a thought that I put a pin in earlier. All this talk of relating to men and women from two or more centuries ago makes me think of matchmaking as it plays out in church, online, across continents, and in social clubs today. It also makes me think back to my conversation with Adjua Endo, playing a widowed woman hawking the Duke across the social season chessboard. Adjua, in playing this role, found that the marriage mart was a really fascinating way for people watching today to appreciate the depth and backstory of the female characters of Bridgerton. I think it's a really complicated thought actually, because I think that all of those women, even Lady Bridgerton, they are strategizing within really narrow parameters. Yeah. You know, they are strategizing. They're finding the angles. Eloise's angle is, I don't want to get married. 
I don't want to do it. And actually, I'm a younger sibling, so the pressure is not on me in the same way that it is on Daphne. She's the first girl and her mother is a widow and there's eight kids. She knows that she needs to support the family. So how does she make it the best choice that she can make within the, the narrow configuration of what's available to her? and within her love and sense of duty towards her family, which means she's gonna do it. Yes. She's gonna do it, you know, because that's also her personality. So I, I think it's fascinating. I think if you are not in a position where you can make all the choices, you have to strategize hard in any society. You have to box clever. I, <laughs> yes. I think you're watching a lot of elegant boxing clever from a lot of people. And it looks like it's pretty and it's skippy boobah. It's not, it's life and death at some level. We're going to get more into the life and death of romance in a later episode. But for now, dear listener, like, subscribe, and share. I'm Gabrielle Collins. Our editor is Chandler Mays. Our producers are Chris Van Dusen and Lauren Homan. Thanks for listening. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows.